We are live, I think, and I'm here with Robert Stevens, Jr. Bobby, how you doing, man? I'm good. What's going on? Well, we are in a quarantine, and I figured that'd be a good uh, topic of discussion for today because this is weird. It's unprecedented, obviously. It's just plain weird. Baseball season and softball season is canceled. It's crazy. And you as a business owner, how, do you, how has this affected you? It's been nuts. I feel like I'm, uh, if you could see my background, my office wall here, I feel like I'm in a little it's a beautiful bunker almost. Gray. It's beautiful. It feels gray. like a bunker. Definitely. I mean, it always does, but more so now than ever. Uh, what was I, I don't have a, I don't have a good explanation for it. Honestly, you know, it's, we've got parents that seem to be, you know, very concerned. We've got some families that, that kind of want an outlet what they want their kids to come in a little it's a bunker, work almost, out. Right? They want to just kind of try and keep, like everything normal uh as normal as i can kids are off of school so it's been it's been difficult trying to kind of take the lead of uh everybody else as far as you know cdc and um what the government's kind of recommending everybody do kind of stay away from everybody but it's definitely you can driving here to the facility you can definitely see it's no traffic everybody's kind of staying home that was what was weird about today. As I walked back from WeWork today, it's it's like a gorgeous day. It's like 64, like crisp, sunny, blue skies. And there's like no people around. It's super nice outside. It's so I'm weird. around outside just to get out, of the, get out of the office space here. Yeah. So obviously this is strange. I think the big implications, and I've been, I think, following Twitter more than I have recently. And I haven't, I'm never really that active on Twitter. But this whole like shuffling of fifth year seniors or fourth year seniors in college now getting it to come back for a year. This has been mostly like, Hey, good job NCAA. You guys didn't suck for a minute. You got one thing right. Cause the NCAA is uh, a lot of their decisions are just baffling and don't put the athletes first, but you know, people are overwhelmingly happy that everyone's getting their year of eligibility back, which makes sense, right? That's the obvious choice. But then again, there's this big shuffling of the deck for the recruiting calendar. You know, obviously this is like, well, all right, I'm an incoming freshman next year. What does that mean for me? Is there still a scholarship for me? Do I have any chance of getting any playing time? Um, where do you fall on that? So I tweeted something out uh, probably about a week ago now where I said how many, uh, you know, the gist of the tweet basically said how many seniors are actually willing to come back or how many seniors will we see come back? You know, something to that effect, you know, willing to put off real life, willing to take out loans for another year, you know, just a, a blanket tweet. Uh, my overall theme was that it's a shitty situation. Uh, and I did get some response uh, from, from kids still in college. Um, I don't know if they misunderstood what I said, but a lot of them kind of came back at me and said, you know, you'd be surprised how many of us are going to come back, want to come back. And my point was not that they shouldn't want to come back or they aren't going to come back, but I mean, we know baseball, 11.7 scholarships, big rosters, you know, for the kid who's on 25% that goes to a school that's, you know, $40,000 $40, a year is taking out $30,000 in loans for an additional year of playing when 
I would assume the kids that are kind of in that decision making, uh, you know, in the in that group of kids that need to make a decision whether they keep playing or not, are the ones that probably are not going to continue to play after college. So do you take on those extra loans? Um, you know, the trickle down effect I think is what we're not going to see until maybe like two, three years from now when rosters are still a little bit log jammed with some of these freshmen that are going to be, you know, essentially freshmen again next year. Um, You know, at what point do these guys, do the rosters kind of formulate back to their normal size? Yeah. And I was talking to our mutual friend, Zach Clark about this, who's, who's a scout. And I said, you know, what are you guys going to do as far as scouting? Like, do you, do you do this? Um, do you guys have to put combines together? He's like, well, obviously the teams are going to do something. He's like, we're not just going to sit around and do nothing. But he's like, look, all the best players have already been scouted. He's like, everyone who's really, 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 really good, we've seen them many, many, many times, right? So the top, the top guys in the draft, none of these scouts are like, oh, I got to go see, you know, this potential second rounder again. Or like, no, they have plenty of information. They've been like, no one just becomes a first round draft pick in the last couple months, right? So all these really high caliber players, they're, they're fine. Like these teams know kind of who they're taking. No doubt. But for everyone else, you know, there's probably going to be combines put together. There's probably going to be a lot more scouts going to private showcases, just like, Hey, if you have a, a facility, of course, now most facilities are closed. So that throws another wrinkle in it. But of course we're still months away from the potential typical, you know, June draft, which also might get pushed back. You never know. So there's just it's it's really interesting these wide range and I'm sure people are freaking out but it's just going to have to be like a holding pattern for a while no matter what age your kid is no matter where you're falling into that fold whether you're you know like I have a I have one kid in college now he's a, a freshman and his season obviously just got chopped and then the other one who's a he's a junior just transferred to uh, Tulane University and they were having a good season I mean he was having a good season I mean lots of players are having good seasons and junior year's draft year, you know, that's your big leverage year. So it's like, okay, well, like he's not a guy who's on that radar, that level of radar where they know who he is and he's going to get, he was going to get drafted really high. He's someone who has a really good season, probably opens a lot of eyes in a good conference and maybe gets his chance. Right. So like for a lot of guys like that, and it's just a, it's a weird position that they're going to be put in and they just need to stay in shape, I guess. I mean, what have you, I'm sure you've had a lot more guys reach out to you than, than me. Your organization is a lot bigger than mine. Um, and do you want to introduce yourself real quick and, and give some people who are seven minutes in um, a little background about you? Yeah, I mean, anybody that doesn't know uh, me, I played with Dan. Uh, I played professionally, have a youth organization in Chicago. We have a facility out here. Um, we've got college guys, pro guys that come in and work out here. Uh, you know, I have had some guys reach out. There's been a few pro guys, a lot of the college guys that are back have reached out, um, and they don't really know what to do at this point. I know yeah. that college, it seems like, have pretty much banged the whole year. Um, but, you know, at the at the risk of, you know, holding out hope, they still want to stay in shape. And what do you do? You know, they want to come work out. You know, I'm – a little hesitant to have more than, you know, five, six people in here at a time just for the safety of everybody. Yeah. So it's a, it's not an easy situation. Yeah. Well, especially places, I mean, you said Chicago is nice today, but Chicago is typically like blizzard conditions until what, like August. So 
you know, it's yeah, tough. Pretty I mean, much, pretty yeah. much. The, so pretty much there's no summer. It goes right spring to fall. <laughs> yeah. Chicago weather. Love it. Um, I mean, with, you know, with uh, the warmer climates, it's a lot easier. Like you can go out and find some place in isolation to go throw, right? It's a little easier, but it's still really cold if you're in the Northeast, or if you're in just the North half of the country in general, it could still be pretty crummy, you know, crummy outside. And if you can't go use an indoor facility, then you might not have that many options, even though it's March. But I mean, even here in Maryland and DC, like March is a pretty questionable time of year where it's not super nice out. It's obviously nice enough where you can get outside, but pretty miserable a lot of the times. But like, you know, Minnesota, the Dakotas, I mean, Chicago, even, I mean, you guys could get snow anytime this month. It's not abnormal for you. Yeah. And, and if then, the sun's not out, it's definitely cooler here. You don't yeah. want to be outside. Um, even if you can, you still, you know, being in the comfort of an indoor facility is, is nice when you're in this part of the country, but you know, how do you balance that with staying, staying, keeping your distance from everybody else, not touching, you know, even the same surfaces as other people. Like what well, do you do? We need like baseballs that are wrapped in like sand, like you, you tear open a, a one sanitary baseball, you pitch it then you throw in the <laughs> yeah. trash. You just, but just you got a sanitizer sand- in the glove. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, you're going to have to, I mean, Purell, everyone. Um, you say, yeah. are you hoarding it? Because I can't find any anywhere. I don't want to admit this live, but I stole it from a bathroom. I couldn't find any there. But well, this is Martin's. In my, in, well, my own, law, in my own defense, it wasn't, uh, it was untouched for a number of days. So I was like, look, someone's going to take this. There's no one in this building, even. I'm a bad person. I realize this, but better here in my house rather than locked up in the building when they close down so that's desperate times what about that guy i'm admitting that i'm a bad person i'm admitting that i am you're fine save my save everyone's judgment out there in twitter universe (laughs) but no that's i mean that's a real problem did you see hold on did you see the guy that had like eighteen thousand bottles of it yeah i love how i read that article and he tried to justify it as saying that well you know like these people think i'm marking it up like you know, my cost, like there's my time, there's all these other costs involved. It's like, that's not how selling products works, you idiot. Your, your cost is not getting factored into um, once you buy and resell, like you driving around Tennessee to, you know, spending 20 hours of your time driving around hoarding all of these, you don't get to factor that into the price of a product. I don't think this he's not getting enough credit for being, for being the forward thinker when he saw this how many days or weeks in advance? Let's Give not him call him a forward thinker. Let's call him uh, someone who's capitalizing on the misfortune of others. That's, I mean, that's hey, really what it is. I mean, I, I mean, it's one thing if it's like, you're, you know, you bought them for $3 and you're selling them for $4. I think that's stomachable by a lot of people. What, what was he selling it for? Like, like a, like a hundred, like a 10% markup. Like, this eight ounce bottle, probably like 40 bucks. I mean, you said you're selling something for like $70. It's, it's outrageous. I mean, come on. And then he, and then he ended up donating it. All. But well, he seemed very reluctant to do that, but I think that was probably, and the, a lot of questions were, well, why did this person let his name be used in this article? It's like, <laughs> Hey, everyone throw stones at me. I'm terrible. Famous. I'm the no, worst. How else are you going to get famous? Yeah, that's uh, viral I mean, famous. Well, I mean, nonetheless, but I think we should go into this uh, sanitary baseball business. I mean, maybe some sort of strike, we, we strike breed cows that are antibiotic resistant. 
get these baseballs out there. We have to get the cost down to like 14 cents a baseball, probably unrealistic. Made in but, the USA. But the idea, I mean, the fact that baseballs are still hand stitched is crazy. Like if we get some robot to stitch our baseballs, which we're going to have robots flipping our burgers, driving our cars. I mean, this whole like Johnny cab thing from uh, total recall is going to be in our near future, which I'm excited <laughs> for. But the fact that we still have to hand stitch baseballs just kind of blows my mind. It's nice though. It makes it like a throwback. They're all, they're all stitched by hand. And isn't, doesn't one woman down in down for Rawlings who makes the MLB baseball Rawlings. Yeah. One woman wraps every single baseball that goes that's play that's pitched in the big leagues. I haven't heard that, but I wouldn't. I mean, I heard that about. I heard that like a year ago that one woman is uh, responsible for wrapping everyone. Well, they're made in coast. The major league balls made in Costa Rica. All the other ones are made in China. So, and the Costa Rica plant's like not enormous, from what I've seen. But apparently, it's just one woman. God bless her. Beatrix, wherever you are, <laughs> you're cornered the market. Phenomenal. You you're phenomenal. She could really demand a raise. Well, I mean, and that brings up the issue of just, I mean, we've got teams stealing signs and we've got all this variance between baseballs, which is not huge, but it's enough to make a pretty big difference in today's game. So, definitely. I mean, and, and the real winners of the coronavirus, unfortunately, are the Astros because all the heat has been taken off of them. And they deserve to be shamed the entire year. I mean, they need yeah, they was, deserve relentless shame. I was right really now, looking no forward attention. to it. Well, it's, we're going to get through this eventually, but people just need to remember how much shame they deserve when we do get back to baseball. We can't be too excited just to be out there. We need to remember, like, hey, keep your eye on the prize and make sure we relentlessly boo and shame the Astros. That's what Twitter's for. Keep everybody Keep everybody – in remember, in remember. Well, I think, yeah, I think we all need to put on our Google calendar, like put a reminder in there for like June 15th. It's like, hey, ratchet up your indignance again for what the Astros did. And just the <laughs> utter lack of the other, yeah, just the utter lack of humility by all of them. <laughs> I mean, you don't expect people to apologize, but at the same time, there was just like such a spoiled smugness from so many of them. You know, especially that Alex, was, especially Alex Bregman. He just came right? off as a spoiled little kid. That's the worst. And then it's this whole, the same whole thing where everyone's like, well, what about the Yankees? What about the Dodgers? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, what you did was egregious. And that's just like the society today. Just passing the blame. Oh, well, this person, which is not how anyone disciplines their own kids. You know, like your kid you know, gets in trouble in school. You don't go to the principal hey like well what about this other kid who did this thing that was worse a week ago you, you just punish your kid and try to teach him right from wrong objectively about what happened right right and that's what's happening in politics and it's what's happening with the astros and they just want to it's weird because a lot of people who really like baseball who are really big baseball fans it's like if you don't realize the magnitude of what they did it's like you're you don't really understand the game enough. Like if you think it's like, eh, it's not that big a deal. Like you just don't understand the game enough. How many of the careers it really did ruin? I mean, that one guy. Who's yeah, so I mean, how, like, how much better would some of these guys be if they knew what was coming? Mike Trout had a night, had a funny little interview. I don't know if you saw that mm -hmm. where he, uh, he, he just basically commented on how much fun he would have if he knew it was coming every day. I mean, that's, that's what separates guys that make it to the big leagues from minor leaguers essentially i mean there's 
you give an average college player this, you know, what every pitch is coming, he's going to be a, a first rounder. Well, and even for someone like me, like I couldn't hit pro pitching, but if I was a pitcher and I suddenly got at bats every fifth game, like a, like a national league hitter, like a national league pitcher, if I get at bats every fifth game, I would, my eyes would start to adjust. I would be taking much more respectable hacks over time. And then if I knew what pitch was coming, you'd better believe I'd hit five or 10 jacks a season because fastball's coming. I'm getting it. I don't care if it's 98. I'm going to get started real early and ambush that thing. You'd and if you're like athletic enough, absolutely. I mean, you'd have pitchers. Madison Bumgarner would hit 20 jacks if he knew every, every pitch that was coming. So he'd lay off the sliders and he'd go nuts when he gets a fastball. And I'm not saying I'd hit 10 home runs in the big leagues, but people that are just that have some level of baseball hand-eye coordination can swing it back, right. see enough repetition, they're going to succeed so much more, especially the guys that would hit 200. They're going to have they're going to have a huge boost in their batting average. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't think so. people understand how important it is uh to you know, you have even if you have one at bat a game where you know what's coming, you know, guys that hit guys that hit 270, 280 stay in the big leagues. Guys that hit 240 get shipped off shipped off or can't find jobs and those you know 30 points in your batting average you know three home runs a year or whatever you know yeah. whatever it would equate to knowing what's coming um i mean i remember playing and we knew uh, one guy in the atlantic league uh he pitched for york i just remember this because he threw a splitter and he would flare the glove big time no totally tipping tipping his pitches yeah. and knowing that that splitter was coming was like it was like cheating I mean, it was like cheating because he only had two pitches. He threw splitter, fastball. Yeah. So if he wasn't throwing that splitter, which everybody chased, then you knew you were getting a fastball. And we just – we lit him up, you know, a couple outings in a row, and then obviously we go away and we come back and play him. And, you know, you when they're bullpen guys, you don't see them all that much. And sometimes their stuff's so good that it doesn't matter if you know what's coming. Yeah. Mariano Rivera type. But mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference when he's got – two pitches that are both plus pitches and you don't have to worry about one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Or you say, all right, I know a splitter is coming. If I see it, take that upward trajectory out of his hand, I'm going to mash it. Cause I know it's a hanger. And if it's straight, right. you know, um, it's dead to me. I'm excelling it out. I mean, <clears throat> it's cheating. I mean, it's totally, it's totally cheating. It's, There's it's no way, two ways around it. Yeah. And it, it's just the idea that it doesn't matter that other teams were doing it, that that makes it okay. Or that makes it less of a big deal. Everyone's doing it. It's, Patently, not everyone's doing it. Like, that's just, like, definitely not, especially not to the degree that they were. And as, like, smug as they were about it. And you hear just, like, Luno completely taking no responsibility, acting like he didn't know. A.J. Hinch, like, acting indignant, like, oh, I I tried to stop it. Like, no, you didn't. And then he went on, you know, in the postseason and, you know, scoffed at the Yankees, like, pointing their fingers, you know, basically accusing you of it. It's like, come on, man. Like... (laughs) You, that, that was, I think the worst part of all of it. And it's just that whole conspiracy. Yeah. Because, you know, you, again, you go back to it, like Kevin Costner's quote in uh, Bull Durham, like 25 hits is the difference between two, hitting 250 and 300. 25 hits. One a week. Yeah. If you know a pitch is coming, you don't think you're going to get maybe 15, 20 extra hits in the course of a whole season. You're going to barrel a lot more balls up. That's for sure. A lot more barrels, lots more hits. Right. 
So how do you feel as a baseball academy owner? You are mostly shuttered right now, if not going to be completely shuttered soon. Um, where are you at on that? You know, I don't want to say it came at a good time, but... Uh, this is down season, right? It's, you know, it's getting towards the tail end of the winter training. You know, is any chance, you know, 45 degrees or above, teams are going outside right now. Um, even our even our youth teams are trying to get outside. So, you know, there is no good time when you're a facility owner, you know, you have an indoor space and you basically have a four-month window to kind of pack everybody in, utilize it. Um, you know, it's tough. Some guys are still coming in doing one-on-one. You know, we stayed open for one-on-one stuff. But it's, it's all new. It's wait and see. I mean, I really – we had people in here on Sunday, um, you know, rentals and everything. And yesterday was really the first day uh, I kind of shut the door and locked it and just told everybody, you know, I will let them know how we're going to proceed forward. I'm going to take the week and just kind of assess, yeah, see what happens, uh, clean the place, you know, got lightheaded a few times spraying the, spraying the equipment down, but it's, it's spotless in there. Trying to figure out how to respond to chats here. So if you're out there in on Periscope or if you're on um, YouTube, you can leave a chat here on the live stream. Uh, so Mike, I see your chat, but I don't know how to respond to it at the moment. Um, so Bobby and I have been toying around with the idea of starting a podcast uh, the last month. We've been back and forth on names and on topics. And uh, to be perfectly honest, we haven't settled on what we want to talk about, but we want to stay in the baseball niche, but we both also have a lot of other interests. So we're kind of trying to figure this out. But, um, and I personally please, think, please comment, please comment your uh, podcast idea names. Yeah. What were our names? So today the one idea was uh, the salty veteran, which is actually a taken podcast name. It's dormant. So they stopped recording after like 2018. So, but I, I did search that today. Um, what were some of the other ones? I don't even remember. None of them really aggressive take. All right. That's not uh, bad. Yeah. Some of them are not safe for, uh, not safe for TV. But I think the good thing about Bobby and I is we're both outsiders where uh, we can criticize the system a little bit. And because I'm not in love with, I mean, let's be honest. I love baseball and I, I love so many aspects of it and what it, it's done for my life. And I'm obviously still a big part of it. But there's a lot of things in baseball that are changing that I just do not like. And there's a lot of things that are broken, I think, in the system. There's a lot of things that are broken in the way kids are getting brought up in the game. Um, in the college system, like I'm very outspoken about uh, pitch calling. I think there needs to be a large shift towards letting kids call the game and not just the default is you're never going to be able to call the game because coach knows better. Um and so, you know, in throwing the, around, the idea around for another podcast, if, you know, you're a, a pro scout, say, or I'm a college coach, we both need to kind of be censored, right, and play the game a little bit. And personally, right. I, like, I'm not this person who's cynical, who just wants to tear down the system all day. That's certainly not what I am. In fact, I, the only people that I really block on Twitter are people who just, like, spew negativity constantly. I block a couple like prominent people in the baseball industry not because I hate them because I certainly don't just because I don't want to see your tweets all the time if other people are retweeting it it's just like negative like fighting people combative 
Bobby. Um, I don't block you, but um, I just like don't need that in my life. Like, I kind of like I just, I kind of like Twitter, and I kind of like just like it's kind of like my newsfeed. I don't want to see this like constant like this guy doesn't get it. This guy's just trying to be an agitator. To blah, blah, blah. Like I don't need that every day, and I'm not that kind of person either. At least I don't think I am. So, but at the same time, we're both outsiders to everything. You know, you work for yourself. I work for myself. Um, I don't think either of us have tremendously controversial opinions, but there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of the, like the way things are being done. I think there's just a lot of stuff that's broken in our game right now. Yeah. You know, there's, it's funny. Yeah. The, the negativity, like I'm on Twitter, basically steamrolling ahead for the, for the baseball guy, for the guy that's either been in the game that has some experience you know, I, I constantly go after the uh, data crowd, the guys that use the technology, not because I think it's useless. I actually think it's very useful. Like there's a lot of stuff in baseball that's new, that's useful, but it's not the gold standard. And it's not the, it's not now this is here. So that is irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. like the experience. I don't, I don't like where the narrative comes in of, your experience does not does not hold water to what this computer just told up my spin rate or I or you know the ball off the bat and I, I tweeted something um, that I that I think rings true is that the baseball has always been the best data you know the you're a pitcher you throw a bullpen like what that ball does is hey what that what the baseball does is your data you know and fooling around with grips and how everybody did it before there was a a video camera on and reading the spin you know that is the data batting practice where the ball went how the ball went there ball flight you know that was the data it's not new it's just a new way of collecting it yeah so i mean i know we kind of went off on a tangent here but you know i have strong opinions on a lot of things in baseball and you know not I'm not necessarily against what I'm speaking out on but there's there's two ways to look at a lot of things so to come at it with just one hard line you know you either buy into this or you know you're falling behind I just don't I don't see that as as productive in in sports or base you know life whatever anything you're anything yeah anything yeah, I mean, because all this stuff is, it feels like a lot of it is the way you jump into a profession or you jump into something right out of college and you don't really know anything yet. You think you do, but you don't really know much at all. I mean, I look back at my own baseball career, I'm sure you're the same way, that I didn't know anything about pitching when I was 21. I just didn't. I just, I wish, like, you go back and you think you did, but you just didn't. And everyone feels the same right. way about every five-year chunk of their career. And it's just... And again, I think everyone, for the amount of people that, you know, agitate you or make me irritate on Twitter, most people are great. Most people are good. They're listening. They're or just no. taking stuff in. It's always just a couple of people that are, you're like, oh, and then you feel like everyone's, this is everyone's opinion. It's really not. Really, it's just most people are absorbing it, trying to figure out earnestly what they need to do because they're following your lead and some other guy's lead and some other guy's lead. And like, do I use this? This is new. Should I do it? Should I invest my time in this? And as a you know, a coach you know, of a 14U team who maybe you maybe didn't play college or pro baseball, I'm sure you're just trying your best to figure out 
what you should be doing because it's confusing. It's super confusing, especially for a college guy. You know, if you're, say you're like a six foot, 190 pound college third baseman, like you're an average size dude, like you're strong, but you're not like big league built, right? Should you be trying to hit the ball out of the yard? Should you be like really trying to optimize your launch angle and go from, you know, eight home runs, which is probably what a 190 pound guy hits to 14. Is that like your game? Should you do that? That's a really good question because if you aren't good enough, you don't make enough hard contact to actually get the ball out of the air. When you start lifting it, then you hurt yourself. Then you hit, you go from hitting 290 to hitting 260 because you're hitting balls as a warning track that just aren't going to make it. And so then I think a lot of this is like, Hey, who am I as a player? It's really confusing. Should I like people try to fit into this new box? You don't want to get left behind. And yet, if you try to fit yourself in a new box, maybe getting farther away from who you actually are. You know, I think when you're a monster, it's easier to put yourself into like, I should do this or I should do that. Or, you know, I throw 97, so I should focus on this now. But when you're in like that middling category, if you're a pitcher today who's like 88 to 92, what do you do to like succeed and get someone's attention? Cause you got to get a lot of people out. Right. Or if you're an average size division one, third baseman, what do you do to stand out in the crowd? You're not going to hit 20 jacks and you're not going to hit 20 jacks in pro ball either. You know? So it's a good question. I don't what know. Do what, you do? I don't know what that kid does. I don't know. You know what, uh, and people know like Jose. Yeah. And people like, yeah. Like you're a good example. How tall are you? Are you five, nine, five, 10. Oh, easy guy. Five, 11. <laughs> I'm taller Six than foot you. on the baseball card. I'm taller than you, aren't I? Uh, I feel like probably. I'm taller than you. I'll tell you. Five eleven or six foot, playing playing height of six foot. I, I'm I'm a legitimate five eleven. Are you? Well, I'm yeah. pretty sure I'm taller than you. I I did measure at six foot like four years ago, which didn't make a lot of sense because I've been five eleven most of my life. But anyway, you're an average sized dude. You're like five eleven. What 180 pounds? 185 pounds? I'm 192, 193. Yeah. So you're the you're the guy I was talking about. Like, could you hit 20 home runs in the big leagues? With the juice baseball now? No doubt. <laughs> okay. That's not the answer I was going for, but um, my point is well, like here so here's a good here's here's a good thing. Uh, back when I played, no, obviously. Like I think my high was nine uh, in a season. But mm-hmm. I feel like from what I've learned from the time I stopped playing to now. I think absolutely I would, my swing would been, would have been so much because strength was never an issue of mine. I was always. Yeah. You're strong, very strong for your size. Very strong. So, you know, not just with my size compared to anybody on the team, I was always weight room strong. So why didn't that translate into, like you said, 25 home runs a year, like some of its leverage, some of its, you know, pitch recognition, some of its, you know, I was fast, you know, play to your strength type deal but I think from what I've learned about my swing like I wasn't getting enough out of it I was I was I didn't have a a swing that was strong relative to my actual strength so you know to kind of go back to that is I, a guy my size like like you said third base you know if I'm playing third base I've got to hit home runs I mean hey, that's a little, just a little guy if you're playing third base you'd be no. six three to play third base now defensive specialist yeah uh but the nature of the position is power i mean there's you're not you're not playing first there's no mark grace type first baseman anymore for those people that remember mark grace 
the 320 hitter with our door swing, just peppering the ball around the field. Runs. Yeah. Like yeah. you need to put the ball out of the yard or you need to find a different position. That's just the, you know, the real interesting thing I find in baseball now um, is with this automated, you know, Atlantic leagues using the automated strike zone. I feel like you're going to see a lot more guys transition to being catchers that can actually, that can really hit, but have no other position at where catchers historically been a defensive position. I mean, if you could hit as a catcher, Yasmani Grandal, you are a, you are the best player at your position bar none. And now, you know, if, the strikes are just going to be automatic. It doesn't matter if you catch the ball. It doesn't matter if you frame yeah. it. Yeah. That position is going to, that position is going to drastically change, especially with the, with stolen bases or got to be at all time lows. So people aren't running as much. You don't need to frame the ball. You're talking a total shift in how you look at a position on a baseball field. Yeah. Alexa, do you think they'll get rid of, uh, Alexa, do you think, They'll go to automated strike zone next year. I don't know. She doesn't know. What does she know? She's a she's worthless. She's, Fine. Just, just stop. Just do do nothing over there. She's, she's just recording the whole conversation. Yeah, I'm gonna get ads for uh, catcher's thumbs and catcher's mitts and uh, <laughs> automated strike zone equipment if that exists. We get a TrackMan ad. It um, will. It will now. Yeah, Alexa, power down. Stop listening. Appreciate you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and that's one of those, that's one of those interesting happenings in baseball. Cause I think the automated strike zone is going to have to happen at some point. There's, it's just people get more and more outraged by it. I personally don't, I think it's fine. I mean, I think there's just a certain amount of variance built into life and bad luck and good luck that you can't ever just strip out of baseball and like, look, a bad call here and there, like it's just, you're going to get, it's always going to average out over the course of a game or a month or a season and certainly a career, but at the same time, when people are like, well, that did co- cost us a postseason game and maybe a World Series, and that costs our organization $100 million, then I, like, I get it, you know, because that, that one call, like with the replay and all this other stuff, like let's just, just get the calls right if we can. And so then you're like, yeah, you've catchers. Huh? It's the beauty of the game. That's, isn't that the pageantry of baseball? I think it is the beauty of the game if we make our umpires be better. I mean, and obviously they are very good. But when we have some of these umpires who are tenured, who are just flatly terrible, but we're just like not getting rid of them because they've been there for 30 years, that's a problem. Like if you really want to do like don't go to the automated strike zone, then you have to just like, and this is going to happen in the education system. You know, like one of the podcasts that I listen to is uh, Pivot with Scott Galloway and Kara Fisher, and they talk. Scott talks a bunch. He's a professor about how broken the tenure system is that now we're paying these college professors 150,000 a year forever. And many of them, not all of them, certainly, because I'm not making this generalization, but many of them just like, all right, I got my ticket. Here I am. Can't get rid of me. And that's going to demotivate a lot of people. And so if you really want to have umpiring be as good as it possibly can be and not go to automated, I think you have to hold these umpires to a much higher like review board and really audit what they're doing because otherwise you just like continue to have these questions like why is this clearly bad umpire umpiring this important game and that's a question that just should never have to be answered shouldn't matter right. be asked yeah because yeah like you know like depending on the level you're playing at your umpire is just going to be bad just expect them to be bad 
Like they're going to do their best and they're human beings and they're people and they can't be perfect, but just expect them to not be perfect and just move on about it. Right. Um, you know, don't get in a beer soaked fight in the bleachers because you know, your 14 new team, um, you know, umpire just hosed you guys and you're not going to get to game nine of your tournament. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the 15 year old umpire didn't, uh, didn't catch the corner quite how you wanted him to. Yeah. By the f- fifth or sixth game of a, of a summer tournament when I'm out of pitching, I'm like hoping we lose a game by a blown call. It's like, please just like ring, ring this guy up here. So we don't <laughs> tie the game. So I don't have to overuse a pitcher tomorrow. It's just like something happened. Just intervene, please. But anyway, I digress. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a weird, there's just a lot of weird things going on in baseball and, and changing and not all of it's good. So I don't know. It, it, it's, I think the biggest thing that parents and young coaches need is really just like a way to cut through and say, okay, what do I actually need to know? And what's actually important to like help these kids enjoy baseball, have a, a long career that they really feel is rewarding to them. And they're learning the right things at each level, which again, I think learning to call your own pitches is one of those things, but you know, topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Go I know on you want. I know you want to get into it. I'm I on would, your side for this one, so I'm, I would I'm love to, to get into it. it. Well, it's just such it's such a it's such a baffling and like silly thing, and I think a lot of people make themselves self-important, saying, "I know how to call this better," and it's not always just even about whether you can or can't. Like I know I could call a good game, and I think there should be some indication when I know. I'm not, I didn't invent baseball. I didn't invent pitching. I'm just another smart pitching guy on the web and you can like my point of view or not, but I know I'm not a stupid pitching guy. And so when at least one smart pitching guy says I could call a better game than my kids for sure. And I could for sure give my team a better chance of winning by doing that. But I still choose not to. I think that's an opinion worth listening to. And again, you can not, you can discard my opinion because you don't, like I'm just one person, but at the same time, right. when, when there is a percentage of people that have been around the game enough that know the game that genuinely care about players development, who are saying, this isn't the way this should be done, even though everyone else does this, then I think that's a, an opinion worth considering. And so that's why like, I don't care about saying it on the web because again, what are you going to do? Like I'm, I'm a, I don't have an Academy anymore. I sold it in August. You're going to fire so me. I- just don't listen. My, I don't care. my question, my big question is, what's the downside of letting the the fifteen U catcher call the game? Other than There's, there is no downside. I was say other than the wins and losses, which shouldn't matter at that point in that no. situation. I mean, guys that are getting college coaches that call their own game, at, or that call the game from the dugout. You're you know that's how you make your money. That's your livelihood. You're in the you're in the business of winning. You're at a power five school fine. You know, I, you can at least make an argument to justify it. But if we're talking about the 15 year old kid and the 15 year old catcher that are going to be, you know, playing on their freshman team, playing summer games, you know, let that kid call the game. That kid needs to, if that kid's got any future, you know, at, in a, in baseball, you know, at the professional level, at least he's got to call his own game. So I'm not saying every kid has got a future in, professionally uh, you know you hope they do most won't but that's that's real development there there is no yeah. downside for that kid to call his own game 
or, no. or the pitcher to call his own game and learn from the mistakes that he made and become better at pitching. Because the kids that are engaged that want to get better, get better. And if you're yeah. just blindly calling pitches from the dugout, you know, not blindly educated for whatever, whatever your, your reasoning is, it, that kid is just seeing whatever's put down, knows he has no choice, and he just throws it. There's yeah. no critical thinking involved. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many. There's again, this is a topic for another show. But imagine, I mean, I don't like using analogies because there's plenty of evidence and plenty of, I think, good logical reasoning without using an analogy. But a good analogy is Google Maps. When you drive around town and you're just listening to turn left in a 500 feet, turn right, you're not looking at the buildings. You're not looking at the street signs. You're just listening for the next direction. And you don't learn the map of the city of the new place you're in nearly as fast as if you're like, okay, Bobby said, I've got to go turn left at this big brick church. And that's, you know, Elmwood street. And then I've got to go six blocks and there's a Seven Eleven, And then I got to take a right on Fern street. You're going to be very aware of how far you're driving, the topography, the color of the building. You're looking for landmines. You're looking for things. And as a pitcher, your job to call your own good pitches is looking for how did the hitter swing? How did the hitter take? What is the, what is the look in the hitter's eyes? Who is the hitter? How big is he? What part of the order is it? What's the situation? Who's on deck? What's this guy done this, this game? That's stuff that you have to pay really good attention to in addition to pinging your teammates and asking your bullpen mates and your catcher for all as much, as much information as you can get. So when you're out there in the eighth inning of a two-to-one game and a guy who's coming up to two doubles today, what's the pitch call, Dan, and why? And I have a good reason because I've been charting it out in my mind watching all those things. But when, some, when coaches says, call this, call this, call this, they think that they're educating you by giving you the answer first, but really they're just saying turn left in 500 feet and then – you commit to making the pitch and you don't have to look at any of the other reasons. And I think as a pitcher who's been on the mound and had games where I've, that, I've, that were called for me, you're just not, why do I need to look at the hitter if I'm, I know I'm throwing a fastball away? Like I don't, and you, and you don't, that's not how humans work, you know? And so I think a lot of us, when we lose our phones, we have no, we can't navigate around a city. I know I, like I'm, I'm fresh to DC. I've lived here a month. And uh, I'm learning more about DC is a confusing city, even though the streets are all lettered, um, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they all go in one direction, all the numbered streets go in another direction. So if you know you're on, you know, 7th and L and you need to get to 14th and S, you know which way to go based on the way the streets, the numbers rise and the, the letters rise or fall. Right. But even then it's complicated if you're just never looking at the street signs, you're never actually wondering, okay, where am I? Like, which way do they go? If you're just Google Mapsing it, it takes a really long time, especially in a city that like there's not that many super tall buildings. So a lot of things look alike on a street corner here in DC. Um, it's just it's hard, and but you learn it faster when you're having to pave your way and figure out how to get home a little more rather than just pulling up your map and saying, "All right, I'm going to walk straight for a while, then take a right." So it kind of goes back to I can rem- I can remember being younger, and if you wanted to call it one of your friends, you had his phone number memorized and I would, <laughs> yeah, I don't know my family's phone numbers anymore. Hardly. If I, I was going to say, I can't I would, I would, anybody. curious to ask how many, you know, could you, could you call one of your parents by pure memorization? 
my parents I could only because I have to once in a while use their uh their like type in their phone number at the grocery store to use their like club card because <laughs> I've lived in the Midwest for so long that none of the grocery stores on the East Coast I, I haven't used any of those grocery stores in like 10 years so I don't have like a right. club membership but now there's like a Safeway which is the one by my parents house and there's Giant which is also was a grocery store I grew up with so I don't have sure. I don't have little shoppers cards from them so I use my parents phone number so I don't feel like getting the stupid card. So that's literally the only reason I know my parents' phone number. Like, obviously it was my childhood phone number, but I don't know my mom's cell number. I don't know my dad's cell number. I don't know my sister's cell number. I don't know literally one person's cell number. I just don't. So, yeah. I think there's something to be said for all that. Um, so what do you think of the travel ball season? Do you think it's going to be, I mean, obviously we're just guessing here, but with these tournament companies, and this is another thing that, sure both of us are outspoken about is the way tournament companies treat travel baseball as just this way to like basically just shake you upside down until your pockets are free of any money uh yeah how are they going to react to all this how are they going to react to this robert i don't i don't see any change in the summer travel season at least right now you know we're a little little less than three months away from tournament number one for most of the high school age groups you know, unless there's something catastrophic, you know, I can't imagine that they're going to, they're just going to cancel weekends. I mean, some of these, some of these weekend tournaments for some of these, you know, larger facilities, I mean, you know, Westfield, Indiana and Kansas city's got a big one, you know, Georgia, you're talking a couple hundred thousand dollars going through that facility in a weekend, any given weekend, you know, that's, that's big time that's big business. That's, that's no longer uh, youth baseball. That's, that's a comp, that's a for-profit business, which is fine. Cause we all, you know, we need places to play. They're providing it. I have no issue with them charging money or mm-hmm. charging a gate fee, but I can't imagine that they're going to, they're going to just say, Hey, you know, we're a little concerned about you being around other people. So we're not going to play. I think it's going to be very much proceed with caution. You know, if you're sick, stay home, use, use precautionary measures, wash your hands, but you know, the game goes on. Yeah. And I would tend to agree. I mean, obviously we have no idea what this is going to look like in the next couple of weeks. There might be a huge right. spike in, you know, coronavirus cases, but at a ca- I mean, caveat is that they closed major league baseball. <laughs> they closed the NBA. I mean, Westville, Indiana is pretty big, but it ain't as big as one major league baseball game. You know, a lot of these big businesses are closed. So, well, I think the difference with though, with, you know, <clears throat> what you said is that you're talking, you know, Bulls versus Lakers draws 20, 20,000 plus in a, you know, you're elbow to elbow with somebody. Whereas at Westfield, you're, you know, there are a bunch of fields, but you really, you don't need to be next to anybody per se. There's social distancing, I guess you would call it, uh, what everyone's calling it. You're outside and in the air. I mean, even a you know Cubs game that's got forty five thousand at it. Uh, you're right up next to somebody. Where if there's forty five thousand people at Westfield, they're spread over you know fifty acres of yeah. surface, and it's different. I'm not saying better or worse. You know, <clears throat> I I understand where Major League Baseball is coming in, coming in, and uh, you know professional sports has to look out for their own their own behind 
essentially. Like they don't want to, who knows if there's, you know, in the era of lawsuits, what could happen? You know, you've got players that are getting sick. Those players are your, that's your, those are your assets. I mean, that's, yeah. Those, those guys go down, you know, the couple guys on the jazz, I just saw right before we got on that Kevin Durant and that, even though he's not playing, you know, four guys from the nets have coronavirus. you know, even if they're healthy walking around, you know, no symptoms, those guys are worth hundreds of millions of dollars to the teams and into their revenue, their bottom line. So, you know, their safety is probably as terrible as it sounds, probably worth more than maybe the summer tournament where kids aren't affected. It doesn't seem like kids are affected according to everything that's been said, you know, it doesn't affect kids nearly as much as affect the elderly and, you know, yeah. immune you know, compromised people. Yeah. Well, it's a high five culture. You know, you can't give your grandparents a high five for her. You're going to be in trouble. So <laughs> that's the unfortunate problem. Um, and then there's, you know, people who are like me, like I have asthma. So I'm in the at risk group where I could just have a respiratory complication from it. And so you just don't know what some of those guys, a lot of these, even high level athletes are just like me where they have exercise um, induced asthma, which I pretty much outgrew. So I have really let, have like almost no issues from it ever, but once in a while, like a really terrible allergy season and I'll be kind of like at 67% lung capacity, which if any of you out there listening are asthmatic, you know, you know, the feeling where you can't, you just, your lungs aren't at full capacity. You just can't pull in all of your air. Right. It's a little scary. And that's what's happening to some people where they're just, their lungs are just, you know, not doing well in this, uh, with this virus. So that's definitely a scary thing. And you just don't want to assume, I guess, uh, with anyone, even with myself. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. And, uh, you know, obviously like the, the mortality rates are still low, but they're still changing. Like they don't really know what's going on. And so everyone just has to be super cautious. And I, I get that. And you don't want to be the one group out there like I, I knew as soon as the Patriot League or the Ivy League canceled I'm like everyone else is gonna cancel too like there's no way other other uh conference athletic directors are gonna be like oh yeah no we're gonna we're gonna be the one that keeps you know like no everyone's gonna take their kids off the field which is tough right. but I mean it's the it's the conservative thing to do and obviously a week later it's a non-issue because the whole because everything's shut down it's crazy um but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see the ripple effect of just the college athletics world, how that shakes out with kids coming back. Because like you said, I don't, you know, doubling back to the seniors thing, that's a, on the one hand, you know, you only get so many years to play any collegiate sport. So if you get another year to do it, like, you're not going to get that year back. You're probably not going to regret that. But you're right, that debt load, 20, 30 grand, because you can't get another degree in your fifth year. I mean, I did this. I went back for my fifth season. Um, and my school was not nearly as costly and I'm lucky that my, I've, I've amazing parents who saved and they paid for my college education. Um, but I went back for my fifth year to, to rehab from Tommy John and I took on a double major, but that really didn't change my career, especially considering I majored in philosophy. So hey, <laughs> I got a, I took a second major. I got psychology on there too. So the two most useless majors in America, um, Actually, very oh, useful. Very useful. Very useful, actually. I am very happy with my education. But uh, you don't become an accountant if you get a philosophy degree. It's just like there's no like career track, obviously. And psychology, right. the, the track is to get your PhD or to get your master's before you really, um, I think, have like the salary that you'd want. 
So just different, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just going back for a fifth year where you're not going to get a second degree out of it. You're not going to get your master's done. That's a tough. And I think for a lot of players, if you know, you're not going to get drafted, it's hard to stomach the season just being chopped. But at the same time, I bet in three weeks, a lot of them are going to come to terms with the fact that, yeah, it was going to come, come to fruition next year. Might as well be time to walk away now. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday about it. I'd be interested to see the guys that have graduated, you know, especially at the lower levels, like a, like a D two or a D three, you know, star player. If any of those guys transfer and if those, cause those transfer rules, I assume change as far as if you have your degree, you're allowed to transfer Mm -hmm. to any school. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be common or it's going to happen, but, uh, a school of a division one, like a middling division one that could pick up a top level D two arm or a division three all American who's graduated, you know, what's the situation? Are they allowed to transfer? Is that, is that going to be, you know, is this red shirt year have to be used at the school you're currently at? Yeah. You know, that's a question. I, I really think it affects who it affects the most. I think, I really think is the uh, high school seniors because those kids are not getting their senior season back. They're not getting their varsity season back They're, I mean, they're not staying in high school again for another year. They are just moving true. on into a log jam college system and basically told, like, we don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, you're supposed to walk on the campus and be our starting catcher. And now our senior catcher who was supposed to get drafted is back. Yeah. So the situation, like, what do you do? It's crazy, man. I, I don't know. Um, there's just a lot of implications for it. It really is. It really is complicated. You know, I think especially with, uh, with softball and obviously there's other spring sports too. Um, I don't really think I'm not going to get to lacrosse, my feelings on lacrosse, but um, you know, there's other sports too. Uh, but like with softball, like the vast majority of, of those girls aren't going pro and they know that they knew that a while ago, well, obviously some are in the big power five conferences, but it's a much smaller pool than baseball. And so they were already prepared for this. And then it's like, do I want to play? I, I would guess that the rates of seniors coming back in softball is probably lower than baseball. I don't know where you fall on that. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think the realization of to play after college for softball is just, I don't know how much of a goal it is for as many of those girls as it would be for the, for the guys. Um, yeah. Just, just, you know, from growing up, being around guys that wanted to play, you know, professional baseball, like those are the people you idolize. I don't know. I'm not around softball. I'm around softball a little bit, but not nearly as much maybe as you or somebody else where these girls coming up wanting to be, you know, Jenny Finch and play for the Chicago bandits and um, the pride. I'm not, I pardon my ignorance. I don't know all the teams in the, professional softball league yeah it's a smaller it's a smaller pool yeah for sure there was i know there were six teams in the women's professional league last year i think there's only four teams this year um and we are just for anyone who doesn't know i'm about 10 minutes away from the stadium where the bandits play um and they draw the best in professional softball they're i believe they're the most popular if they're they've been around the longest since i was in college um 
and the games are fun. I've been to a game. I mean, it's a good time. It's a it's a cool atmosphere. The <clears throat> girls are talented. I mean, the games are really really fast paced competitive games. But I don't know how many of those girls were had dreams of being a professional softball player before the opportunity presented itself. You know, once they got into college, uh, I know a few of the girls that were in the league that are still in the league, and you know, they're super athletic. They're you know really personable girls. They've they've got a lot of they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot to offer. But like you said, for the girls that aren't in the you know top twenty of uh, college softball teams, I got to imagine life life moves on, and I don't know how many of them. Like I said, for all sports, how many of them are going to want to come back and, and take yeah. on the debt? Yeah. Yeah, it's very real. Um, and, you, and you wonder if more baseball guys, because I heard this little thought floating around, is will any of these college seniors just turn to indie ball and try to jump into indie ball and see what they can do and just get quickly signed out of there? I think that's probably realistic for some of the best ones. Or what they can do if they can jump onto an indie ball team in April. You know, at the end, well, I mean, that'd be Atlantic League season at the end of April, but just unrealistic that even they'll be going then. So I guess that's less of an issue now. But yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of, a uh, lot of, a lot of uncertainty. Um, well, Robert, what are we going to call this thing? I can't see anybody's messages here. I've got to imagine there's some good. There weren't many. Uh, we're not, we're not that popular. We got like not four yet. hearts on uh, Periscope and. I don't really know how to view the twit the YouTube one. I'm looking on Restream, so we're using Restream here to uh, simultaneously go to YouTube and Periscope at the same time. I think YouTube's working, but if it's not, then oh well, these things happen. Uh, but yeah, we're at least on Twitter Live, and so we're good there. But uh, for all of you out there in Twitter land and maybe YouTube land, thank you for watching. I think this is going to happen again, Robert. This is going to happen again. This has to happen again. It I've got so again. many things I want to talk about. You don't even know. Yeah, you're just cooped up in your little on your little dungeon out there in Chicago. I'm, I'm in my bunker. All right. Well, thank you for um, joining us today. Uh, stay safe out there. Self quarantine. I'm going to include myself in that group. And uh, we will catch you next time on this soon to be named YouTube show slash. I'm kind of leaning more towards like this is a YouTube show rather than a podcast. Obviously, this is going to be in my podcast tomorrow. I'm going to put it on Dear Baseball Gods for now. But YouTube, this might be this Twitter might be Twitter on, show? this might be on ESPN if there's no TV. Uh, no, no. Your tele- boy Scott Adams does his Periscope. That's his thing. He doesn't really do a podcast, does he? No, he does Periscope. We can have him yeah. on. I'll call him. Yeah, call Scott Adams. Yeah, yeah. Do do that. I'm sure he'll take your call. (laughs) All right, everyone. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Bobby Stevens. See you next time. Take care.